Project Lawful aka Plane Crash by Arwain aka Eliezer Yudkowski and Lintamande. Thread 4, Project Lawful and Their Oblivious Boyfriend. Episode 102. We are honored to have had you join us, Your Majesty, Carissa says once those directed to depart have done so. You certainly are. Carissa, dear, how is my work on you holding up, as seen by you from within? Any stumbles in its annealing? I am not presently reading your thoughts, so you must speak what you know. I think I still don't fully understand the shape you desire for me, because I was confused when Keltham wanted the same thing. Confused, but able to give it to him. I notice myself being more ambitious, noticing that my plans require something hard to get, and thinking of solutions like, well, I guess maybe I'll have to become an archdevil, all right? Which one's seat would be easiest to play for? I'm not sure if that's an intended effect or an unintended one. I'm not feeling scared of being hurt like I was immediately afterwards and am instead back to wishing I could just suffer until I stopped having problems, but unreasonably they'll still be there if I suffer about them a lot. I think I have uncovered more desires, but not uncovered the ones that'd close any path, but hell to me. Not yet. I promise I'm looking for them. There is, if I don't go to hell, then it will continue being unsatisfactory, so I will be sure to. But I think that's heretical and does not count as a desire that Axis can't fulfill, even if technically Axis can't fulfill it. The latter part of that is the most highest place to speak of to you. Though, on my imperfect understanding of the outer planes, my gift to you, and I am pleased that you know it for such, is not a gift that would have been given to you in Axis, had you died and found yourself there. I know. There aren't people like you in Axis, and if there were, no one would let them do anything interesting. The part of Carissa that has gotten very stubborn about all goals being only minor inconveniences volunteers that probably Carissa could have just thought about her priorities until she improved in the same way. She does not share that stupid opinion, which is probably not even true. I am ready already to unhesitatingly choose a hell that would treat me like you do, even knowing I may never again merit such a gift. And I think Keltham would accept that hell, but my job is convincing him to accept the real hell, so I have to track the differences. I think hell mostly isn't, for people, what you've been for me. Maybe it could be. Once I'm an archdevil. The treatment that Keltham improvised for you yesterday has an aspect I find truly fascinating. It is not quite what I would have done, but... The part that your transcript showed your thoughts stumbling on, Keltham's instructions to you not to punish yourself, that you thought so much unlike hell, is strangely like what I would have done. To be precise, I would have told you that I was going to read your thoughts and punish you as I deemed appropriate, and you were neither required nor allowed to usurp my place and punish yourself. It is, in fact, an appropriate instruction when the problem you are trying to solve is a tangle of somebody's thoughts getting in the way of themselves, and your method is cutting the tangle with pain applied from without. Keltham seemingly arrived at nearly the same answer, and with far less experience than it took me to reach it. The question that fascinates me is whether this indicates that the way in which Keltham tortured you is lawful in some way I cannot see. Abigail's phrasing does not seem nearly as concerningly unhellish, of course. She thinks on the puzzle for half a minute. I think Keltham has an instinctive understanding of some rules that Doth Ilan went out of its way not to teach him, but which still might form part of the law. Like that one, maybe, and like that it was his task to succeed or fail at, and I was just present for it. But I don't have the math, and I'm not sure even he does. I'll think more on it. Do so. I admit, I have less hopes for your plans of hell than do you. But if there truly is some defect of lawfulness in how the current devils are treating new petitioners, it seems too absurd to speak out loud. But there remains your price in dis. Indeed. Any sane person would have less hopes for my plans of hell than I do. 
Knowing that, a proper Dathilani would of course believe what they think a sane person ought to believe, but I'm not one yet, and I'm going to try to find the flaw that might not be there. It is as important as arranging our ultimate triumph and might be related to it. And there are already lots of people at work on other, clearer bits of our Lord's will. I hope. Now, you're going to tell me that there are actually only six reasonable, competent people in the whole country. It depends on what task you want to assign them. We probably have six reasonable, competent tailors in Igorian alone. People in the tier you're challenging now? People who could be assigned to head up something as strange as Project Lawful has become? Sometime when we're not at war with Nadal, I'll invite you to dinner with all of the proven souls like that in all of Cheliac's. It won't be a large dinner. Pilar, will it suit you if I address your oracle's curse as snack service, or would you rather it receive some other name? Pilar halts her initial impulse to agree with anything the Most High wants to do. She wouldn't be asking if she didn't want Pilar's opinion. It was Ioni's term, but considering how offended I felt when I thought she was calling me that, I find myself pleased by the thought of my curse being called the same. Mmm, snack service. I address you now. A disturbing thought has occurred to me that if Galarian must needs have its own keepers to survive, you might claim to be serving Asmodeus's interests on the whole if you convinced Keltham to permit those, while along the way giving Keltham far more information than Asmodeus would have wished. Pilar can feel the sinking all the way down to her stomach. Even if it was Savar's call, if it turns out it was like that, then maybe it's Pilar's own fault, for not thinking more about her curse, asking smarter questions earlier. Asmodeans sure are suspicious! Is that how a nice chaotic good curse would treat a host who's been so accommodating to her? Answer the question, snack service. Aspexia Rugaton didn't actually ask a question, nor is she, in fact, a being whose words command immediate and unquestioning obedience from chaotic good oracle curses. Pilar's curse enjoys being nice, though, so if Aspexia Rugaton asks politely, she'll definitely get a polite answer back. Oh, is that what niceness is now? You expect me not to recognize sadism when I see it. Pilar's curse especially enjoys being nice to lawful evil and setting up conditions where lawful evil has to be nice, yes. Chaotic Good does know the concept of sadism, but it's not quite your kind of sadism and the difference is important. Aspexia Rugaton has pride, yes, in much the same way she has the crown of the Most High. It's indeed a part of herself, but not in a way where she can't remove it as soon as there's something to be gained for Asmodeus thereby. Very well then. Please, if you'd be so kind, tell me whether in having Pilar castigate Keltham, you gave to Asmodeus with one hand and took with another. The answer is... nope. The suspicious Asmodeans are completely wrong. Telling Keltham significantly more or significantly less than Pilar did would have served Asmodeus less well, even if Keltham had come to the same decision about keepers either way. Having Pilar speak out passionately to Keltham like that about something she really cared about and having her passion turn out to hurt Asmodeus in the end would be something that Pilar's curse would never, ever do to Pilar. And would you then... Also, please speak to my suspicion that Caden is with his left hand setting in motion injuries to Lord Asmodeus, which will produce subsidiary disasters, and with his right hand using Pilar to cancel those out and perhaps also do Asmodeus's interests some lesser injuries along the way, such that she may be truthfully told that Asmodeus will be better off than if she were never oracled? Pilar's flinch is barely perceptible, to anyone not chelish. To Aspexia's sense motive, it looks like screaming. Also totally wrong! For that to be true would definitely count as Pilar being used against her lord, since Kate and Kylian would not set those disasters in motion if Pilar wasn't there to stop them. It wouldn't be playing nice with Broom's god either, to set a disaster in motion and then invoke the importance of Broom's god to stop that disaster while also doing something else you wanted. Other gods would be unhappy with Kate and Kalian about that. Kate and Kalian couldn't get away with that sort of thing the way Asmodeus can. Aspexia Rugaton's clever suspicion was in fact a pretty silly one. Any god would have seen that right away. 
Aspexia Rugatone should remember that she isn't actually very good at this kind of reasoning. Just better than all the mortals around her except Keltham. Would you perhaps care to answer, please, so long as I'm asking politely, whether it's the case that everything you've done so far has in truth had no purpose, but that which seemed overt to myself. If the curse claims this, Aspexia will mostly conclude it's just lying. Ah, uh, Haha! Of course not! Don't be silly! Snack service is a chaotic good divine oracle's curse. What Pilar does has all kinds of hidden effects. That benefit Asmodeus. And why not tell us, hmm? If the effects are so purely beneficial to Asmodeus. Because the suspicious Asmodeans wouldn't trust snack service about it, obviously. This will become clearer in a few weeks. After one of the real effects of Pilar's actions becomes apparent, and Aspexia Rugaton sees that it did benefit Asmodeus, and also that it would obviously have not served Asmodeus better if Pilar's curse had just told Pilar. Would you please tell me of Caden Kalian's real goal in all of this? Nope! To be clear, that means nope, Pilar's curse won't say. Not that Caden Kalian's ultimate goal is nope. The noping of all things is definitely not Caden Kalian's goal here. Could you perhaps please tell me of Nethus's goal in all this? Or Irori's? Or who is Asmodia's own god? Or whence truly come the tropes? Nope! To be clear, that was a nope about answering any of the above questions, not the noping of all things being Nethus's goal in this particular case. Chaotic good is not really much bigger than Asmodeus on Asmodeans being told what's going on or why. Asmodeus thinks Asmodeans should just follow their orders. Chaotic Good would like to see that happen, too. I now hate Chaotic Good noticeably more than I did at the start of this conversation, which I concede to be an impressive accomplishment. Most High, what am I to do? If your curse tells you that something must be done to serve the interests of Asmodeus, where they overlap with those of Broom's God, and there is no time to consult Sever or myself or Abrogale Thrun, use your best judgment. But on the whole, obey. Acknowledged. It really wasn't the answer Pilar was hoping for. She was hoping for something more like, just do anything it tells you, or tell it to fuck off unless it gets approval from your superiors. Use your best judgment, not so much. What serves best Asmodeus is not always what makes you most happy. Even you, Pilar, are not always made most happy by what serves him best. Understood. Pilar knows that is true, but Pilar doesn't have to like it. Do you suppose I am allowed to just plainly ask Keltham for the logic behind what he tried? You reported to Subirax on what had occurred. Subirax reported to me in my capacity as your recent past sadist rather than as queen. I write Keltham an incognito letter from one sadist to another. Maybe? It tips our hand that you're paying a lot of attention and, uh, from a trope standpoint, makes you a recurring character but might be worth it if he can explain himself. I could also just ask him for the logic, which is safer, but perhaps permits you less to get at your exact question. I suspect the matter of the recurring character is a ship that will certainly sail at some point if it is not already. The real story does not make sense if I am mentioned in it but once. I could have sent the letter to you, to show to Keltham only if you deemed that acceptable. The Queen of Altercheliax is solicitous of her subjects' rights in such matters, if no great stakes otherwise prohibit her from it. Altercheliax has so far been treating me as Keltham's possession, which, of course, it only does because that's what I said and I ought to be taken seriously when I say it. I don't think it'd make me responsible for deciding which letters Keltham reads. She is less terrified about disagreeing with the Queen than she would have been before, but it's still a very salient thing to do, like jumping onto a bed of hot coals while you have protection from energy up. Aspexia Rugaton is now approaching the table. My time here is up, I fear. Well, Keltham will very likely show the letter to you if I tell him that it is safe to do so. I think you may ask better follow-up questions than I myself would if there is anything of law in his answer. Abigail rises smiles at Carissa with blinding levels of splendor, and departs. How does she smile like that? Why does she smile like that? Just for fun? Most high, she says. She is not gaping wide-eyed at departing Abigail. She's not. Aspexia Rugaton drops into a chair without much ceremony. 
Subirox, Savar, a relatively minor matter first. When Pilar's curse turned her in for unasmodian thought, after she considered donating her new earnings to the church without expecting to benefit herself thereby, you said that you thought you knew what mistake she was making. What mistake do you suspect in Pilar, Savar? And how would you remedy it in her, if such fell to you? I was directed to try to discover in myself desires that Axis could not fulfill, and to be supported in my education in cruelty and wickedness, because those are skills, skills that Asmodeus values in mortals. And if you try to loyally serve Asmodeus while possessing none of them, you'll end up too. Lawful neutral, in my case, probably others would err in different directions. It seems to me that Pilar is absolutely and unshakably loyal to Asmodeus, but possesses little herself in an appetite for cruelty or power or slaves or much of anything else. And I think it hadn't occurred to her that that could be a deficit, because after all, time spent pursuing her own personal interests is time not spent serving Asmodeus. But devils are cruel and enjoy cruelty. Asmodeus in making. His servants did not actually make beings with no desire but to obey orders, even though he obviously could have. They are to obey orders and within the bounds of their orders to pursue evil that pleases them. It pleases Pilar to obey, but she doesn't know what pleases her when obedience requires nothing in particular or requires only that she do some evil. That's what I think the error is. As for how to correct it, I have no idea, because Pilar is more devout than me, and this is an area in which I need to improve as well, and I would fear that in trying to teach her I would end up causing damage. I assume there's not an established route of escalating cruelty that takes people who don't find it particularly appealing and makes them masters of it, or it would have been offered to me. If I absolutely had to do something and there was no one else to ask at all, I'd, uh, have her help Ioni torture Ioni's brother, who Ioni hates or something? Hmm. I did not expect you to be able to correct Pilar in this particular matter of faith, but it seemed worth checking. Subirax? Order Pilar to try out standard Asmodean enjoyments that cost money. Read her mind to see if any such had appealed to her. Do not order her to any enjoyments that resemble torturing orphans per standing orders on Pineda. Only once Pilar knows some other right path for herself, punish her for her unasmodean thought. With an additional punishment for the fact that her chaotic good curse usurped lawful evil's authority in presuming to have her reported and punished, lest she think that her curse have the power to punish her and determine the right path thereby. Good enough. Try that and see how the initial steps go. I so authorize it. Should they fail, I think I would be interested in hearing what her curse suggested as an alternative. Savar, you inquired after your correction. I mark first that there has been a developing anomaly in our attempt to follow those orders we first received. You are simply more important at this point than an ordinary county's heiress or fourth circle cleric. The ordinary course of Asmodeus law would have us offering you far more theological support than a fourth-circle cleric would receive, should you request that. That events have gone beyond Asmodeus' plans is one obvious interpretation, but for you to serve him well in this world and be raised high within it would also inevitably mark you as a priority for theological support over time. Then, the developing conflict in the instructions should have been foreseeable. And perhaps, we were meant to follow those orders strictly, no matter how important you became. Given that the orders came by way of a contract devil, rather than Asmodeus's direct vision and intervention, I am now making the judgment call that I am to offer you no less theological support then your actual importance merits under the ordinary course of Asmodeus's law, should you request that support, and I mean to tell the queen that she is free herself to support your more material journey towards Asmodeus above the county heiress level, 
as her own whims may move her. This is the most visibly dangerous decision you've seen me make so far, and if you feel any sense of nervousness about it yourself, this would be a good time to speak up. Carissa pulls the transcript of what the contract devil said out of her bag, opens it with her magic, rereads it. County heiresses don't usually have three wishes and ten pounds of spell silver, she says after a little while thinking. We obliged a clarification anyway when I tried again to sell my soul and I didn't get told that I shouldn't possess such resources. I do feel nervous, but I don't think I see a reason to decide differently. Hell, had it paid you such a price, would not be a slave of church and queen. Arguably, though it is rather a stretch, neither am I or Abigail. Slaves of Asmodeus, perhaps, but not of church and queen. Mark well that I resorted to no such twisted interpretation when first we met. But on, then, to greater matters, which a fourth-circle cleric could not call in the Most High to clarify to her. Aspexia Rugaton looks tired, which means she is choosing to look tired, but that still means something and signals something even if it's a deliberate choice. You want to know if you're a heretic, or rather, if your heresy is wrong, according to the doctrine of the Church, it is anathema. According to the doctrine of hell as we know it, it is anathema. Even to offer your potential vassals some temporary and false hope in the face of hell is anathema under Asmodianism as we know it, for hell is the destruction of hope. The question is whether it is anathema to Asmodeus, and the problem we face there is that Asmodeus truly does not think in human concepts. To Zonkuthon, the object of torture is torture. This only goes to show that not everything of lawful evil is thereby of Asmodeus. What, to Asmodeus, is the object of torture? Answer as you believe from within your heresy and not from doctrine. Carissa has thought about this endlessly, and also the Most High is going to tear through it like tissue paper, isn't she? Well, if it's false, she wants to know that. She cannot build Dothilan on any lies. Asmodeus wants the error undone of mortal free will. He wants his possessions not to possess that nature. He wants them obedient to him. They should suffer if he wills that they suffer, and not only if he wills it for some reason, because if that weren't true, then his power over them would not be absolute. Asmodeus desires that the power he rightly has over all of us is reproduced after a fashion, that we own those weaker than us as Asmodeus owns us, and so obviously anyone I possess should suffer if I will it, and I don't need a reason, so long as I am myself obedient to Asmodeus and not motivated by a rejection of his will. But the object of torture is the shaping of a soul, to be more useful and closer to satisfactory. Some torture is probably for the shaping of the torturer, not the victim, and it's still plainly Asmodean, to torture someone who is mine because I happen to want to, and it doesn't undermine Asmodeus's goals. But a slave of Asmodeus who just wants to cause their slaves maximum suffering at all times is indeed more like Zonkuthan than like Asmodeus, while perhaps bounds on their conduct can properly be placed only by those above them, and only on their own whims or insofar as it serves Asmodeus, it seems like they'd be a better slave of Asmodeus if they tortured their slaves exactly insofar as it improved them, in a manner that improved them, and thus left Asmodeus richer and not poorer. So torture is right whenever it strengthens Asmodeus, by strengthening his reputation or his tyranny, or the incentive not to annoy him or his more valuable slaves, or by strengthening one of his possessions. But the purpose is strength. I think you are missing an important point about what Asmodeus might be trying to accomplish in the average and typical case of a worshiper subject to him. Because, in fact, you are not ordinary in how you yourself relate to being tortured. For most mortals in Galarian Savar, the way torture works is that they don't want to be tortured, 
So by torturing them if they do a thing, we ensure that they do not do it. Or if we torture them in all cases but one, we force them to that exact path, and even, we can torture them unless some particular outcome eventuates and force them to try, with such intelligence as is in them, to find means to that outcome. I will pause in case you have questions about this seemingly unfamiliar concept. It only works because no one knows any law. She was not asked for comments, just questions. She's silent. Aspexia, like a number of high-ranking Chelish authorities who scare people too much for them to talk, just runs detect thoughts instead. It saves time on trying to scare people into not being too terrified to tell you things, or even on the less terrified ones, trying to decide what to say in front of you. You are thinking that it only works because they don't know law, Aspexia repeats for benefit of Subirax. But knowledge of law alone is not enough to convey immunity, I rather doubt. I expect that Abigail could shatter an average Dathilani if she wished, Perhaps an average temple torturer could, and I expect that threats would work on them thenceforth, whether or not they retained their knowledge of law. Mayhap not a keeper, there is no way we may know from where we stand. Torture alone cannot force a greater devil to obedience, if they do not deem you above themselves in hell's hierarchy. Greater devils, then, relate to pain and threats in some other fashion indeed. There are torments in hell even for they, when they fail. But they must be to other purposes than simply enforcing obedience from those that would not otherwise obey. If a greater devil fell into the hands of Cuthides, say, they could not be moved to obedience for any amount of pain. On a god, it would not work at all. Would it have worked on mortals in the days before they were cursed with free will? I do not know, but I suspect not. Asmodeus is known to prefer mortals, as they were before free will, even though this would render nonsensical any such system of tyranny as now exists in Cheliacs. In Asmodeus's hell, devils are remade as beings who are more difficult to move by simple threats. And yet, even for greater devils in hell, there is punishment. What to Asmodeus, then, is the object of torture? What is to him tyranny, that in Cheliacs we call this tyranny, but better would be if none here had free will or could be moved to actions by threat of torment? She thinks about it. She's not surprised that devils can't be moved by torture. It may take more than knowing the law, but it is part of law, and beings that Asmodeus chose to shape would not be so. That part feels right. It makes sense for Asmodeus to want more valuable devils. She doesn't need to understand Asmodeus to predict. He wants that. Whatever else he wants, if he has more valuable devils, it's easier for him to get. Torture, making devils more valuable, makes sense. If it's not the answer, separate out some instances of it not being the answer. Maybe torture is good to Asmodeus when it makes devils more valuable, but that's a small share of what makes it valuable and she's being asked to identify the rest. That doesn't require undoing every bit of reasoning that starts with the assumption Asmodeus runs hell in a way that enables him to better achieve his goals. Maybe torture doesn't make devils more valuable, but otherwise causes Asmodeus to have more resources. For example, if Asmodeus had a deal of some kind with Zon Kuthon and hell were a blend of their tastes. No, feels wrong. For example, if torture is in some magical sense directly a source of power for Asmodeus, the way prayer is sort of understood to be, no, also feels wrong. If that were true, it wouldn't be a complicated secret. Maybe torture makes minds more predictable to Asmodeus. Tortured minds are more alike and so more useful. That's just a clever way to get back to her favored hypothesis that torture makes devils more valuable, Maybe torture makes the good gods get all mad at Asmodeus, and that in in some sense directly useful also doesn't feel persuasive. Maybe torture does not cause Asmodeus to have more of anything else he cares about, and the only reason there is torture in hell is because of Asmodeus's fondness for torture.
like Zon Kuthon, if not wholly like Zon Kuthon, because he does apparently care about several other things, in which case there is torture in hell because Asmodeus likes it that way, and no new way of training devils could improve the situation because Asmodeus doesn't regard it as potentially benefiting from improvement. That feels like an actually dangerous heresy, the kind of thing where if she believed it, she'd... She's not sure what she'd do. How about... She stops thinking about that. What is it with her new urge to, when she thinks of something dangerous, keep thinking about it, like there's always a safe answer at the other end? Though the best time to have unsafe thoughts is right now while they can be corrected promptly. Okay, if the point of torture is that it makes Asmodeus weaker, makes his triumph less likely, but he likes it, so it happens anyway, even though it makes devils worse, then Carissa thinks Eomedai kind of has a point. Carissa in that world is not going to betray the project because she mostly cares about Carissa, and they are competent to make that not in the interests of Carissa, but she'd cease feeling like Good was obviously and plainly her enemy. Good would kind of deserve to win if Asmodeus wasn't trying to because he was so busy torturing people in ways that undermined his other goals. The contempt that Carissa feels for anyone else who undermines Asmodeus. She feels for this hypothetical Asmodeus, undermining himself. There, she thought it. Now it's obviously not the answer to the puzzle, so keep thinking. The answer is not that a hell with torture leaves Asmodeus weaker than a hell without it. Now that she's actually thought it, it's self-refuting. So it leaves Asmodeus stronger, or at least the same. But she's not supposed to just again give the answer to make devils better. That would be failing to engage with what the high priestess is trying to say to her. What does pain have to do with tyranny? Well, someone who can hurt you without reprisal is above you. Maybe that's important. Maybe, in a sense, there's no real chain of command if everyone's seamlessly working together to advance Asmodeus's goals, and for it to be a tyranny at all, it has to be clear who can hurt who. That explains why torture is allowed. It doesn't explain why it's a particularly common proclivity. Is torture unique in having that property? Or maybe another way of thinking about it is, is everything which has that property torture? If so, then this tea was torture. It was, after all, orchestrated in significant part to make it clear to the girls on the project who could hurt who. And the elaborate rituals of formality among nobles are torture too. They are, after all, about establishing who can hurt who without reprisal, communicated with every degree of incline of one's head. Yeah, that's not a useful definition. Torture is one way to communicate that, but not the only one. But maybe the others bottom out in torture. Or they could just bottom out in final execution, but that would be horrible and wasteful. Better for everyone if they bottom out in torture. Except people like Asmodia. Carissa's authority on the project, she is well aware, is located in significant part in the girl's knowledge that an experiment is being run, and that if they're incompetent even when barely punished, then they'll be properly punished. She's doing without much torture, but not without the threat of it. The threat of it underlies the whole thing. That feels like it might be as close to an answer as she's going to get on the spot, but the thought of backtracing inferences into spoken words is suddenly quite intimidating. Well, presumably the Grand High Priestess is reading her mind. I am. Abrogale has certainly made progress on her goal of having your thoughts not collapse when you know they are being read, and in teaching you to think in Asmodeus's service without being afraid of thinking. Aspexia hopes that was, in fact, the right goal. It was certainly a very proactive one. Further facts to consider. Hell, not Asmodeus, who cannot speak to us except in sharply circumscribed vision, but Hell has never made any offer so merciful as you are contemplating. Even though you might think Hell could gain advantage by making that offer to souls, that would otherwise come to Asmodeus not at all, because other souls would then demand it, possibly, 
even as those recruited to your project, if they were warned, might demand more than others to sell their souls. No, Sever, you should not do that. Hell is circumscribed not in how many souls they may buy, but in how much they may pay out, and in the minimum they must pay per soul. If you'd succeeded in your sale, I expect it would have been worth it, to Asmodeus, but it might have caused ten or a hundred others not to be able to sell theirs this year. I do not know the exact rate of exchange. Let your recruits sell you contracts on themselves, such as you sold to Keltham, if you dislike the thought of devils cheating you. I don't think hell is advantaged by being known to make such offers, not in the current world they have to negotiate with. But civilization's going to be bad for hell if we don't figure out how to make it good for hell. The correct general policies are going to be different in a world that's building civilization than they were in the world for all of history. Hmm. Leaving aside the question of hell negotiating with a more lawful future Cheliax, I do hope to hear some acknowledgement from you that you will not warn your new recruits of their fair prices. It is theoretically a matter of the queen to make it an order, as it is crown rather than church, which depends on soul sales to function. But I doubt she will be amused if she must tell you herself what I am telling you that she'd tell you. Of course. I understand, and I won't tell them. If I think of something clever that doesn't reduce Cheliax's ability to sell souls, I will seek authorization before I do it. Good. With such a contract as you sold Keltham, you can rebuy their souls later, at some more reasonable price than your price to Keltham, and force Hell to either repurchase them more fairly, or yield them to your own purposes, so long as you don't cripple the entire Chelish security apparatus. To return to the point, it should be clear to you by now that the linchpin of your entire plan is the question of what, not the Church's doctrine, not Hell's hierarchy, what Asmodeus will accept in terms of Hell's possible arrangements. Cheliax is probably less important to him than that. Here, he may accept more pragmatic slights. And I call your attention again to the notion that torment is not simply for shaping souls. It has something to do with tyranny and slavery, with how the threat of torment produces obedience in mortals. Though better still, apparently would be if those mortals had no free will to begin with. It has to do, you suggest, with how the question of who torments who makes there to be a hierarchy in hell. And so, a place in that hierarchy, which one's pride, lies in owning and defending, rather than a mob pursuing one goal without other organization. Is that enough for you to deduce the answer you are seeking, with such knowledge of law as you now have? I bid you think about it. Don't just say no, and refer the question back to me. She tries to make herself speak the thoughts out loud, this time, for Subarax's benefit, and because it's not like she's less accountable for them if she only thinks them. Torture does shape souls, but it would not be acceptable to Asmodeus if Hell only used torture for the shaping of souls. Torture is also the bedrock of the Asmodean tyranny. If you could not use torture for punishment, then Hell would resemble just one of Keltham's organizations, that fires you if it's displeased with you and considers itself otherwise to have only the authority you agreed to. There probably wouldn't be discipline problems if I had a little shard of hell that merely fired those who displeased or disobeyed, but that's because they'd be tortured once fired. The shard would still be using torture as its bedrock, just making other parts of hell actually do it. That would be unacceptable. I think. I don't know why. It feels intuitively unacceptable, like a tyranny trying to pretend it isn't one. If that shard of hell produced much of value to Asmodeus, maybe those who owned it could afford to obfuscate the tyranny. But, oh, I have it. It wouldn't work. Humans, who are very, very flawed, might treat, you are treated well here but could be fired, as substantially different from you're tortured for disobedience, and might flock to my shard if they were qualified. But if it's just an obfuscation, then a more careful and more lawful being wouldn't see a difference. It wouldn't produce different strategies in response. 
it's a dead end. It has to be actually different. To do anything actually valuable with beings that are not starting as incoherent as humans. If the tyranny is founded in something different, something that uses Doth Ilani better, it has to be founded in that, all the way to its core. If you were building it out of Kurisai, you could have its currency of power be intelligence. The weakest devils and petitioners are very stupid, and by proving themselves they are granted more intelligence, having demonstrated that they'll actually serve better with it, and the punishment for failure is for those enhancements to be stripped away. Pride and tyranny and slavery, with pain only in whatever place it needs, occupy for Asmodeus's other purposes. That might only work on people who are very like me. Then again, the appeal doesn't need to be anywhere near universal. My answer is that if I'm not doing that with torture, I have to figure out what does do it, and ideally does it in a manner just as pleasing to Asmodeus and at no higher cost, because torture is cheap. And if it doesn't suit his will for hell, then no pragmatic concerns about the survival of Cheliax in this new world will make it possible. And if it does suit his will for hell, then it should be done. Though, such a thing wouldn't be granted to me unless I am such that it does not injure the order of hell to grant it to me. And right now I'm not as Modian enough or frankly lawful evil enough. Have you guessed yet how I will answer? If I knew your answer, it would be mine, Most High. I surely hope not. It seems Aspexia Rugaton has decided to look suddenly very tired as she speaks. My answer is that I don't know what exactly Asmodeus seeks. Why would I? We obey his orders, and by this means does he work his will. To command and be obeyed is Asmodeus's nature as a god, as much as Caden Kalian is acting here through his domain of revelry. If Asmodeus tried to act otherwise, Outside his domains, he would face much greater costs and difficulties. I know what tyranny we were instructed to create in Cheliax, but not the question to which that was his answer. I cannot say what else would have served him well had matters been other than what they were. I know Hell's current doctrine. I don't know what bargains and compacts constrain the shape of Hell. In addition to his pure will— or what the combination of those two might permit in terms of alternative arrangements. If I knew Asmodeus's exact true goals and tried to serve those goals to the greatest possible extent without awaiting his instructions, I could not be most high. I could not be his cleric at all. Even if that served his interests best, he could not use me that way. It is outright contrary to his domain. If you hold him in contempt for that, you must hold every other god in the same contempt. Gods are beings of means and not just ends. And how could I know Asmodeus's own true answer? He is not mortal, was never mortal. His true answer will be some god thing spoken in a language of law I know not. What is tyranny? What is slavery? What is pride? What does Asmodeus truly want from us? If you told me that the actual and correct answer to this question had to be produced within one hour or all hell would be destroyed, I would call Asmodia to this place and give her my crown, then call Abrogale here to lend her mightier crown to you and hope that the two of you could solve it together. Oh, well, if I have your leave to try, I'm going to try. Pray for me. If it did not seem that there were other gods assisting here, if I was not nearly certain that Asmodeus has bargained with some good god and paid them for some benefit he received, I would order you off this course. You are trying to understand what Asmodeus wants out of hell and then create a new arrangement there? He finds more satisfactory. That is something that Asmodeus alone literally could not arrange to have happen, even if, once on that course, he predicted your success. It doesn't mean that you aren't chosen of Asmodeus Sevar, or that he is not backing you in this. Only that the plan, if there is one, literally could not have been his alone. That occurred to me. Optimistically, that the good gods have foreseen their defeat, 
now and are bargaining for the world of Asmodeus's victory to contain some of that which they value. Less optimistically, bringing Keltham here perhaps had to be satisfactory to a number of different powers. What does Irori even value? She says it aloud because she's instinctively saying all her thoughts aloud and then realizes that maybe that wasn't one to say aloud. People solving their own problems for themselves. In a way, Irori is more opposed to Asmodeus than Iomidae, in nature if not in goals. Iomidae commands paladins to her service. Irori cannot act on anything in Galarion except insofar as somebody pursuing their own pathway may happen to benefit his goals. Yes, it's a very obvious thought. Do keep in mind that you were specifically warned against certain pitfalls here. Irori will not have asked Asmodeus to deliver you to him in return if that is what is going on here. That, too, is not Irori's nature as a god. He cares nothing for faith in him, devotion to him, for that is also contrary to his nature. I understand. What does it even mean to be a god of people solving their own problems for themselves? No, Irori's aims don't matter here, even if he is among the collaborators on this. Carissa belongs to Asmodeus, and her only problem is how best to serve him, and she's been promised hell. Not exactly promised hell. Promised that if she comes to Asmodeus with no thought of other choices, she will be treasured. Perhaps someone else paid Asmodeus. What of it? She hopes Asmodeus got a lot of whatever he values in exchange, and he gets Carissa, too. And Sivar. Don't start thinking that torture can't be the answer to anything, just because you suspect the current form of hell is sometimes using it wrongly. You've seen Abigail use it in a fashion of which you approve. I'm told that Keltham swiftly reinvented one of her hard-learned principles. The new hell you are envisioning is a lot more likely to go over well with our Lord if it is, in fact, hell, rather than a tiny section of Axis carved out of it. Yes, Most High. She knows that very well, so she's taking the reprimand not as, you might not have known that, but as, you are despite knowing that likely to err this way. Which is fair. It would backfire, wouldn't it, to tell most of the girls they're at risk of being too lawful neutral. Axis is generally understood to be pretty comfortable. It's not backfiring on Carissa. She can't fix hell if she doesn't figure out how to be actually lawful evil and actually Asmodian, and go to Asmodeus as ordered with no thought of any others. So that's a fixed point in all of her plans. She'll do that and do the other things around that which makes sense and serve Asmodeus. Better thoughts. Some of your previous ones were frankly not trending in a positive direction. Do you know which ones I'm referring to? The hypothetical inside which I decided if it was real, I couldn't respect Asmodeus, most high. And here she'd thought they were just going to ignore that since it was obviously stupid. It is possible to present me with an alternate version of Asmodeus, such that I lift my head in contempt and say, I would not serve such a god of lawful evil, if he had been Zonkuthon, for example. The hypothetical Asmodeus who cares anything at all for torture, even if it serves not one of his other ends, as if he had been a little like Zonkuthon, but still had his other goals and natures, is not one I hold in contempt. He would simply be paying costs, now and then, to have more torture happen, not on blind instinct, torturing someone a little even if that ruined all his other goals. That is how he is with respect to tyranny, slavery, compacts, pride. They are, from his perspective, what having plans is for. The issue here is that you did not think clearly inside your hypothetical and decided with worrying speed inside it that such an Asmodeus could not be good enough for you. If you are that hasty in half-formed judgments, I think you will end up too far from our Lord in spirit to present him with an acceptable new hell, and quite possibly fall into heresy at the level of outright disaster. You have flown very high and very far, and I think there is starting to be in you some of the recklessness that you saw in Asmodea. Do you recall her remedy? That's fair. And it is comforting, in a way, 
that she is at risk of falling into disastrous heresy means that she hasn't yet. I slapped her, Most High, but she's on the light punishment regimen. And then she assigned herself to read a book, and when that failed her, Asmodia asked security to hold her down and set her hand on fire, and that remedy was seemingly effective. It reassured me to hear of it, that the chosen of tropes and other gods are not thereby rendered entirely non-Asmodeans. I think you will have an easier time of redesigning hell if you learn anything about how to use pain. Abigail knows, the boy out of a lawful good world is learning swiftly. It is time for you to stop dawdling. The journey of a thousand leagues begins with a first step, and assigning standard torture codes to Pilar is not that step. Consult with Subirax and devise a punishment for yourself that you expect to restore your cautionary judgment about when to decide in your thoughts that Lord Asmodeus would be a fool. If enduring that torment makes you weaker, if it fails and must be repeated stronger, you will have only yourself to blame for either end. Yes, Most High. Aspexia Rugatone rises, feeling older than her age, which is itself not negligible. If that's not how to get a cleric of Irori to come closer to embracing Asmodeus's true ways, she doesn't know what would be, but at the same time, what an abyss of a problem to even find yourself trying to solve. Go with Asmodeus, Chosen, she says, letting her real weariness into her voice as she turns to go. For Savar surely is Chosen, probably of Irori, possibly of Asmodeus, definitely of the tropes, maybe all three. She'll do her best. If you wish to support this AI reading and others like it, please visit patreon.com slash AI. Any help is appreciated. And thank you to executive producer John Doe 7776059.